Yate Steve Pelletier Yanishe Maidesh Gijin Yanishali Pilagana Pashashin Kinla Chitni Dashache Pilagana Dashanale. Welcome back to part two of our NCAA returners. Gonna look into 12 players that I like and also that I've gotten intel from other research and other draft experts looking out there. We're gonna look into the final 12 on this list and also contemplate is there a first rounder amongst these NCAA returners? Let's get into it right about now. yet to listen to episode number nine where i went over the consensus 13 of ncaa returners my idea was this is the 13 guys these are the 13 guys that most everyone has on their big boards all the way from one through 60 maybe i'm fudging it with oscar shibwe but i feel like oscar shibwe deserves that respect to at least be around number 60 for all the reasons i laid out if you have yet to check out episode number nine on the consensus 13 of ncaa returners for the 2023 nba draft please do that before you listen to the second half of this list and the remaining players here are in no particular order i'm just going to list them off and give you a brief scouting report on each and every single one of them why i like them things that might be concerning and especially for players maybe that aren't as prevalent out there and draft circles make a little bit of an extra case to give them some voice here Starting off the second half of this list is somebody I profiled in episode number one. That is Pepperdine guard Houston Millette. I'm also going to look at his teammate Maxwell Lewis. And I just wanted to start with the Pepperdine guys because what is going on with Lorenzo Romar and that Pepperdine recruiting staff? Their starting five is Mike Mitchell Jr., Houston Millette, Maxwell Lewis, Jan Zidek and some power forward freshman named Javon Porter who has some brothers named Jante and Michael Porter Jr. So man the recruiting there is pretty like phenomenal for a team that plays in the WCC. If you don't know Lorenzo Romar was the longtime coach at Washington has a fantastic track record of developing players and recruiting players like Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, uh, Justin Holiday, Quincy Pondexter, Isaiah Thomas. I'm sure I'm forgetting some guys in there, Terrence Ross. I mean, just a lot of great talent that came through his Washington teams. And it seems like it's coming through here with Pepperdine as well. So again, we're starting with Houston Millette. Houston Millette is a legit shooter, somebody who will put up a ton of volume. And oh, if you love players like Rip Hamilton and Reggie Miller, he is definitely an off-ball throwback type of player that I would hate to guard because he's always in motion, just cutting off of screens, able to move and do things without the ball, but still able to score a lot. He led Pepperdine last season in points per game. Currently, Pepperdine's actually already played three games, and Millet is at 14.3 points per game and shooting splits of 46.7. 
36 from deep and then perfect from free throw line. He's putting up 8.3 three-pointers per game. That's a ton of three-pointers to give you an idea. His three-point attempt rate right now for Millette is 62.5%. Well over half his shots coming from three. And oh, by the way, so far it has been dishing out the rock pretty good too. 11 assists to just one turnover, 3.7 assists. So that's a good indicator. It didn't seem like he really was playmaking that much. This past season, so good to see him moving the ball a little bit more. Six foot five, 185 pounds is what Millet is listed at. So this might be somebody who's limited on defense. Can he guard point guards? Is he able to guard shooting guards at his own position? That is going to be the main thing with Millet. Is he just a shooting specialist or can he contribute on both sides of the court? His teammate Maxwell Lewis is bigger, listed at six foot seven, 195 pounds. Is leading the team in scoring right now with 18.7 points per game shooting splits of 70% from two 54.5% from three and 83.3% from the free throw line those numbers are going to come down to earth also dishing out 4.3 assists right now which the totals are 13 assists to eight turnovers so able to contribute in a bunch of different ways. Six foot seven, 195 pounds has wing size. So if you're looking for a wing that can shoot and has good uh, true shooting percentage, doesn't waste too many shots, is efficient. This is your guy. Maybe he has a little bit more passing chops than what initially people thought. Defensively is going to be another thing there again. Six foot seven, 195. Is this somebody that just guards shooting guards? Is he strong enough to guard small forwards? I think that's the biggest thing. If he's strong enough to guard small forwards, then this is somebody that should be in consideration for first-round pick potential, in my opinion. Any wing that can shoot the three and guard and, you know, the typical three and D combination, yeah, you should be able to be in first-round consideration. Scoring that many points, being that efficient, and if you are able to guard both uh, shooting guards and small forwards, absolutely and then Javon Porter, he's not on this list because he's a freshman, but somebody to look out for, their teammate, and keep an eye on Pepperdine. They will play UCLA November 23rd. And I have a feeling they might give them more than you know a good shot because this starting five looks legit. Next on the list is somebody that I know a lot of other draft experts really like, but I'm not quite sold on. But from recommendations like Sam Vecini and other outlets, Boxing One, I know Coach Spence likes him a little bit, is Xavier point guard Colby Jones, listed at six foot five, 195 pounds. Xavier won the NIT this past season, so he did help win a title there. And is a point guard, dished out 3.2 assists per game, only scored 11.6 points per game. So that's the main thing. Not much of a score. 111 assists to 69 turnovers. That's a great turnover or assist to turnover ratio. But the shooting is going to be a concern. Last season shot 29.2% from three, 68.0% from the free throw line, and 4.2 attempts per game. So you got there a decent amount, 147 attempts. But 68%, that's not good. Anything under 70% for somebody that is not a center is always going to be concerning. And then under 30% from three, also a big concern. 54.5% from two-point range, though, so that is above average. A good indicator. He has more of a game on the inside. 
Right now on this season is shooting 46.2% in two games, has not hit a three-pointer, but he only has taken one three-pointer so far and is 15 of 18 from the line, 83.3%, 14 assists to five turnovers. So again, the turnovers, uh, the assist to turnover is good. The free throw numbers starting to go up, averaging 13.5 points per game in just two games. Hopefully the points will go up and he can shoot even like 33% from three because that would be a good thing. Pretty good defender for a point guard, 6'5", 195, above average, can guard ones, can guard twos. But if he's not able to space the floor or knock down free throws at above 70%, I'm not sure this is somebody that's going to be able to stick around. Speaking of guards who are fantastic passers, next is a prospect that comes from a college I'm sure many people have never heard of, and that's California Baptist's Taryn Armstrong, 6'5", 185-pound point guard. And I mean point guard. This guy really knows how to pass. I had the opportunity of seeing him here this past season at the University of Arizona when the California Baptist team came to play the Wildcats. Definitely all is advertised as a passer. He averaged 6.3 assists this past season to 3.4 turnovers, 165 assists to 89 turnovers, so almost 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Only 10.5 points per game, shot under 40% from the entire field, 30 at 39.3%. Shooting splits were 43.4. 30.864.8% from the free throw line. So that's going to be the thing with Taron Armstrong. Yes, he can pass. And as a wizard, another fantastic Australian point guard. I don't know what they're doing down there in Australia, but it's definitely working. Profiles is somebody like a Ricky Rubio who, yeah, every time you throw him out there, he's going to get the team running. He's going to make the offense work. He gets everybody lined up where they need to be. He can feed every single person on the team, whether it's a shooter, whether it's a big man, whether it's the primary scorer, he will know how to get them the ball and make them happy. But what can he do on his own? Is he going to be able to score in any way to be a threat that complements everybody else? Athletically is limited to, I'm not going to call him a bad athlete, but when you play at California Baptist, it's hard to really gauge what level of athlete you are. Seeing him here in Arizona against like Benedict Matherin, Dalen Terry, Kirk Risa, the guards, Pella Larson and stuff here, he didn't look overmatched. So, but it's just one game too. I really don't see him being like downgraded as an athlete. I don't think that should be held against him yet, but we will see how that turns out. Currently scoring 15 points per game in just two games, shooting splits of 45.5, 80% from three-point range. That obviously will not stay. 72.7% from the free throw line, six and a half assists to three and a half turnovers. So hopefully these scoring numbers can stay up. Hopefully his shooting numbers stay up too. This might be somebody that could sneak into the end of the first round because of that Ricky Rubio type of profile of just making everything work and if he is even average on the shooting splits at a place like california baptist where let's face it he doesn't have many other options to pass to this is somebody that should get some consideration in the first round moving along to another guard is the university of virginia's reese beekman 
Reese Beekman first came on my radar from a bunch of different outlets. Like I know the NBA big board guys talked about him. I'm pretty sure Coach Spins and Sam Vecini had talked about him. But the thing that always came up is like they think this guy is the best point of attack defender, point guard defender in all of college basketball. Reese Beekman is measured at six foot three, 174 pounds. You might think. He's much, but you do turn on the film and you will see him pester people. I always use the analogy of the fly. Like when I was taught by my family, they always said, if you want to be good on defense, you have to be like a fly. You, you always try and swat the fly away, but you can never do it. And eventually it just frustrates them enough that they end up making a mistake. So Reese Beekman definitely fly-like in that regard. Defense is going to be the main thing. He's also a good playmaker. assists to just 1.4 turnovers this past season. The totals on that were 181 assists to 50 turnovers. That is fantastic. Again, anytime that you have more over 2 to 1 assists, uh, over 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio, you are top notch. You know how to take care of the ball and run a team. So along with the defense, fantastic playmaker, fantastic facilitator who knows how to run an offense. Scoring, though, is the thing that is going to really, really affect Beekman's draft stock. Last year, only scored 8.2 points per game. This year, he's currently only at 8.5 per game. But if anybody follows Virginia, Virginia isn't known for being explosive with its offense. They are definitely more methodical. They will run the clock out, try and find the open shot so they're not in a rush. So a lot of times when you look at Virginia players, their numbers on offense don't pop. But even for Virginia, under 10 points per game, not exactly the most sparkling, glowing, offensive, shining star you can see out there. Shooting splits, too, were 48.7%, which is okay, fine for a guard. 33.8%, not fantastic from three. And then 76.1% from the free throw line. The more concerning part of that, though, is he took, uh, Beekman only took 1.9 three point attempts per game this past season, and then only was at the line 1.3 times per game. Those numbers absolutely have to go up if this is going to be somebody that contributes on offense. Just think of somebody like a Javon Carter, whose defense is the calling card in the NBA, or somebody like a Patrick Beverly. They are able to space the floor. They're able to do these things that complement superstars. Beekman has to find something like that in his arsenal and offense that says, yes, you can throw me out here as a point of attack defender. And oh, by the way, you can kick it out to me when you get double or triple teamed. Right now on the season, 8.5 points per game. Terrible inside the line so far. It's just two games, but 28.6%. Shooting it better from deep on three and a half attempts per game, 42.9%, and then perfect from the line. So far, 11 assists to five turnovers. I'm sure that assist to turnover ratio will continue to be stellar. But the thing you will have to monitor with Beekman is that shooting percentage, especially from deep. If he can just prove that I can be a Javon Carter-like and, oh, by the way, I'm taller than Javon Carter, then, yeah, this is somebody that absolutely should get drafted in the second round at least. Next is a guy that I almost didn't talk about because he wasn't being played, and that's Isaiah Mosley, who's playing at Missouri right now. 
in kind of a funky situation where they're not really playing him. He's coming off the bench, only playing 15 minutes. And this is a player that was profiled last year by Rafael Barlow, by a couple different outlets. Says, man, this is the best scorer you really haven't heard of yet. And he was an absolutely fantastic scorer that scored a ton of points, but was also hyper efficient, which is a combination you do not see a lot, even at, at lower levels in, in um, mid-major territory. He played at Missouri State, and there Mosley scored 20.4 points per game on shooting splits of 54.2% from two, 42.7% from three, and 90.2% from the free throw line. True shooting percentage for for Mosley was 61.7%. You cannot say enough good about how efficient he was able to score and how many points he was able to score. Fantastic shooting splits. Could pass a little 2.3 assists, but the turnovers were high. I mean, he's the main offensive hub, so the bucket's got to go through him. Transfers to Missouri. He's from Columbia, Missouri, which is where the University of Missouri is. He's from Rockbridge High School there in Columbia. So you would think they would want to play him. But again, so far as just coming off the bench, I do not believe he's hurt. Only scored four points per game. But this is somebody that is a microwave scorer and is not just a chucker. Really good shooter as well. 164 threes this past season. That 42.7%. I hope something gets figured out because this is somebody that was fantastic to watch at Missouri State. Hopefully they figure out his role. Is somebody worthy of a second round pick if he can get on the court consistently because we already know he can score. Speaking of guards that know how to score is Detroit Mercy's own Antoine Davis. Somebody who's been on draft radar since he was a freshman. Freshman season, played 37.4 minutes per game, major load. You look at the shooting splits, like 42.3 from two, 38.0% from three, 85.7% from the free throw line. And then you look at the points, 26.1 points per game as a freshman, 24.3 points per game as a sophomore. 24 even on the nose as a junior, 23.9 this last season as a senior, and he came back for a fifth year here at the University of Detroit Mercy. But, uh, was in the transfer portal, kind of thought it over, and then decided to, to come back. So thankfully he's there in Detroit. I got much love for Detroit, spending all my time up in Michigan. Spent more time in Detroit than just about anywhere else. Love the city, love Wayne State, Detroit Mercy, all the great places around there. So happy to see Antoine Davis stay there in the University of Detroit Mercy. I mean, as a shooter, number one is the thing I would say for Davis. You're going to look at him 6'1", 165, think too skinny, but then you see him play. He does not back down from anybody, and that jump shot is more than legit. Every single season that Antoine Davis has been in the NCAA basketball, he has taken over 10 three-point attempts per game. There's only been one season, full season so far, where he shot under 37.2%. That was his sophomore year where he shot 32.4%. Consistently and really high field free throw percentage too as well. 
Free throw percentage as a freshman, 85.7. As a sophomore, 90.1%. As a junior, 91.7%. And then as a senior, it quote-unquote dipped back down to 88.2%. This is just somebody that can score from all three levels, really knows how to score in a variety of different ways. And as the kids say, is a bucket. This is the definition of what that means, is a bucket. Is inefficient, though. I mean, you see how many attempts he takes just from three, from two-point range. He's taking over 10 in his freshman and sophomore season. And then the last three seasons has taken nine attempts, 8.9. And so far this season, 8.0 right on the nose. The overall field goal percentage, too, you see really kind of hovering around 42 or below percent his career high was this past season as a senior 42.9 percent so that tells the tale of inside the arc is kind of chucking and putting up a bunch of shots every single year has taken just a, a ton of field goal attempts more than just about anybody else that i'll probably see on this list True shooting percentages uh, as a freshman, 53.9. As a sophomore, 51.8. As a junior, 56.6%. As a senior, 56.7%. Right now, 48.6%, so terrible. But I I really believe in him to be able to get that back up. And just nobody else on this list has been able to carry the scoring load for as long as Antoine Davis is. He definitely should get a shot in the NBA as a microwave scorer, as somebody that just can get a jump shot off anywhere and is not going to back down from any challenge. Defensively, I am uncertain how he will be able to hold up. That is going to be the big thing with him in the NBA is how are you going to hold up defensively. Assist to turnover ratio, too, has been up and down. But when you're handling that level of offense, it's probably to be expected that you're going to turn the ball over a lot. Every year has posted over 100 assists, uh, normally averaged around four assists per game. His career averages 4.3 assists per game to 3.6 turnovers. You would like for him to cut down the turnovers. But more than defense, the thing that's going to be with him is can you play a role? What is the role you're asking this guy to play who originally was just thrown out there to put up shots and get a ton of buckets? Next on the list is someone who is currently at the University of Florida, forward Alex Fudge. Alex Fudge was first brought to my attention by Chaz over at DBB, Scott, and those guys. And I know a lot of the No Ceilings crew is on Fudge Alert. If you go follow the No Ceilings crew, I apologize for who posted this, but every time Alex Fudge does something, they go banana, as Pat Patterson used to say. Really athletic player, six foot eight, 185 pounds. Seems like what position does he even play? Kind of played some center last year when he was at LSU. They didn't really find a role for him. He's this kind of utility defender, mainly came off the bench, only played 3.9 minutes per game. You look at the stats and it's like, yeah, it didn't do much. 3.3 points, 3.2 rebounds. So the stats really don't tell anything. You had to put on the tape to see like, oh, this is a guy that is a multi-position defender, can occasionally put the ball in the deck. I'm not sure if he's a shooter because they don't really give him the chance to do those things. At Florida so far, is still coming off the bench, but playing more minutes, 20.5 so far. Shooting splits of 50 
50% from two-point range, 50% from three-point range, and 100% from the free-throw line, 11 points per game. Definitely looks like he's in more of this bench scorer role and still able to get after it on defense, get up, throw down some sick dunks with that athleticism. Really intriguing, multi-utility, jack-of-all-trades type of player. The one thing that I do not see him doing very well is passing in the time at LSU. He had eight assists to 27 turnovers. So that's going to be a big thing. What is his ultimate position going to be? Is he an undersized power forward? Is he somebody that's mainly going to be a small forward? Can he come down to the two guard spot at six foot eight, one and eighty five? If he's going to be that thin, definitely an intriguing guy to watch. If you love athleticism, check out Alex Fudge. Somebody I'm only going to briefly touch on because he's only played one game, and there's a lot that goes on with him. Is Amani Bates? Six foot nine, 190 pounds, is playing at Eastern Michigan Emu. For those of you that were in the, the bottom part of the mitten, Central Michigan, and put up 30 on my alma mater, the University of Michigan. Look fantastic. Look like he's really out to prove a point and put his name back in draft considerations. The off-court stuff, to me, is something that shouldn't be discussed as, like, the primary thing with Imani Bates because as a young man still trying to figure things out. Put through the grinder, unfairly, in my opinion, was put on this pedestal as, like, all the next KD, which was unfair to him. Bob probably do a whole podcast on not just him but the process of hyping prospects up um, like before they're in college because I think that just does more damage than anything else. Imani Bates is fine. He had a tough year at Memphis and everybody's calling him a bust already and it's like this is somebody who's still trying to figure out their game. Was asked to play point guard at Memphis when he's not a point guard. It's definitely more of a scoring wing and somebody to keep an eye on and absolutely should still be in the conversation for somebody who should be drafted. I mean, you saw it just right out of the gates against Michigan, is able to shoot, has extreme confidence in his abilities. The main thing is going to be passing and defense. Did not dish out many assists at the University of Memphis, 1.3 assists, and then in that win, or the 30-point game against Michigan, had zero assists. That's going to be one thing. Is he just an isolation scorer? And then the defense, six foot nine, 190 is what he's listed at. There's a famous measurement thing at Memphis last year, too, where it was shown he has a negative wingspan, meaning his arms are shorter than than what somebody's height should be. That'll be concerning to certain scouts, and especially to teams like, say, the Toronto Raptors, who prioritize wingspan and size in their draft prospects. So it'll be something to look at in the future. Monty Bates is definitely going to score, but is he going to be able to pass, and how is his defense? Returning to athletic players is Damian Collins out of the University of Kentucky, listed at six foot nine, two hundred and ten pounds. If you remember back in my first episode, I talked about Memphis's uh, Keorichi Akabundu Ihu. A lot of those same things apply to Damian Collins as well. Fantastic leaper, fantastic mover at that size. This odd power forward center, even though he's very skinny. 
started to add a jump shot and some other things if you watch the Kentucky's Bahamas tour over the summer. In- incredibly raw this past season, really didn't put up too many points. I'm not going to list off any stats or anything because they were, were barely there, but a top recruit who really shows a lot of athleticism and is a re- great ball of clay at the forward slash center position who could be maybe somebody like a Brandon Clark if utilized right. Absolute great lob threat that any team would love to have. Any guard that loves to throw lobs should be, you know, saying, yeah, I want this guy here. Has been injured so far this year, so hasn't put up any stats. Supposed to debut against Michigan State. If you love just lob city, athleticism, get out and run. And oh, by the way, will erase every single shot that comes his way. A really good shot blocker. Then keep an eye on Damian Collins. If he can add just... A corner three, I think that might be enough to have some teams be like, maybe we should look at this guy at the end of round one. I mean, I like him better than Peyton Watson. I'll say that much. And Peyton Watson went where the end of round one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, at number 30 was Peyton Watson this past season in the 2022 NBA draft. And he barely played any minutes. So I like Damian Collins as this multi-positional defender at the four and the five. And if he can just add something like a corner three, that unlocks a lot more. From one blue blood program to another, now we move on to University of North Carolina big man Pete Nance, who played four years at Northwestern before entering the transfer portal and coming over to UNC. Pete Nance is the younger brother of Larry Nance Jr., so Larry Nance Sr.'s other son at Northwestern this past season, put up 14.6 points per game, shooting splits of 51.5%, 45.2% from three, and 76.8% from the free throw line, pulled in six and a half rebounds, dished out 2.7 assists, had 81 assists to 44 turnovers. As their like center power forward at Northwestern, that was very impressive that he handled a lot of the playmaking duties for a team that really didn't have a lot of talent. Took 93 three-point attempts and drained 45.2% of them. That's something that he's consistently worked at all four years when he was at Northwestern. Same with the free throw percentage. His free throw percentage as a freshman started out at 41.7% terrible and then slowly worked it up to be consistently over 75%. So this is a stretch big man who also has pretty good athleticism. Six foot 10, 225 pounds, so can play either the four or the five. Defensively, I am uncertain. Seems a little bit stiff. He's not as athletic as his brother for sure. Probably going to be limited to center. I am uncertain. We'll see a little bit more North Carolina now that he's in the ACC. We'll play alongside Armando Baycott, so he's definitely not going to be playing center there at UNC. Somebody to monitor as the season goes forward. I'm not sure his points per game and like the counting stats will be the same as they were at Northwestern, where he was the man and had to carry a lot of the load at Northwestern. He's, or excuse me, at North Carolina, more of a complimentary piece to Caleb Love and Armando Baycott. Right now is only at 6.5 points per game despite starting both games. Hasn't hit a three-pointer yet but as 87.5% from the free throw line. Pete Nance is somebody to keep an eye on as a fantastic utility big man, stretch big man, who, by the way, can also pass very well. 
And last but not least is somebody who entered the draft conversation this past year, but if it wasn't for a foot injury, might have been in that 2022 NBA draft. And that's Temple's Khalif Battle. This past season, he was putting up 21.4 points per game on 58% from two, 48.8% from three, 80.6% from the free throw line in just seven games, but then broke a bone in seven games and was out for the rest of the season. This is somebody that really knows how to score in a bunch of different ways, can attack the rim, has a really good jump shot from three and in the mid-range, can get to the free throw line, and just a fantastic all-around score. A little on the skinny side at six foot five, 175 pounds, but if somebody was looking for that next Jordan Clarkson or that next Jordan Poole type of player, I don't know what's up with these, you know, back up six man of the year players in Jordan names, but Khalif Battle is in that same type of mold right now. In two games, he's mainly been coming off the bench, but he's playing 34.5 minutes per game, so it's not like he isn't playing a ton of minutes. 18.5 points per game, 42.9% from two, 35.3% from three, and then perfect from the line so far. Somebody else who I think might be a legit shooter. He hasn't played a full season to where you're able to see that he puts up that volume. Butler was where he played his freshman season, came off the bench, then transferred to Temple. Unfortunately, that Temple season and his sophomore season was cut short due to COVID. They only played 16 games, and Battle only played 11 of those 16 games. Next season was where he broke his a bone in his foot, so he didn't play in that seven games. Crossing fingers, saying prayers, doing whatever to make sure Khalif Battle stays healthy this season so he gets a full season under his belt to show off everything that he can do. I think he has a really solid handle, too, to be able to get off a shot in a bunch of different ways. At six foot five, 175 pounds, defense is going to be the main thing that people are going to question as his playmaking really has not shown to be much of a passer so far. But again, hasn't played a full season, 11 games as a sophomore, seven as a junior, and now we will really get to see what kind of playmaker he is. Defensively, I'm just going to buy into it because Aaron McKee is the, the coach at Temple currently, and he definitely stresses defense. If you remember Aaron McKee in the NBA as well, was a great defender as well. And oh, by the way, this Temple team just recently beat Villanova. I believe it was this past Friday, November 11th. They defeated them 68-264, so trending in the right direction. Damian Dunn's main scorer right now, but I really like Khalif Battle as an NBA draft prospect. Keep an eye on him going forward. So that wraps up the final 12, the mixture of my own, along with other names I've heard along the way from experts and other people I trust. And that wraps up the entire 25, both parts one and two. So I asked, is there a first rounder amongst this group? Honestly, I think there is one. And really, there should be three in consideration for round one, that being Arthur Kaluma, Terquavion Smith, and Chris Murray. 
I understand the argument for Turquavion Smith, and in part one, I talked about how the draft that guys, Corey Telepa and Albert, Alberto Gim, talked about maybe there's a world where this is top five consideration. It's just really hard for me to buy into somebody that is that small, six foot four, 165 pounds, saying this is somebody I want on the lottery. I mean, you think about a prospect like Jordan Walsh, who really hasn't played a lot, has pretty raw but has the tools number one incredibly lanky you see the wingspan you see him be able to after get after it on defense and on offense profiles as a mikhail bridges type of player and if he is a mikhail bridges type of player that's somebody that every team needs to be able to play tough wing defense and compliment the superstars and little by little add things along the way. Whereas Terquavion Smith at that size, you got to be like Allen Iverson, right? Have some kind of athleticism, playmaking, scoring that you just get it off anywhere and everywhere. Or maybe like a Steph Curry to where your jump shot is just phenomenal and is the greatest of all time. Those seem like high benchmarks. If you think of a median outcome for somebody like Traquavion Smith, it's like what, again, Jordan Clarkson, Bones Highland. And I love Bones Highland, but taking him in the lottery over somebody who might have multi-positional defensive potential as a great starter, maybe not an all-star, but like a Tayshaun Prince level, yeah, you got to take that that player, in my opinion, who's going to contribute more to winning. Not to say that Traquavion Smith can't do that, but if this is somebody that profiles more of like a backup or more of a specialty type of microwave scorer, that's a no for me, dog. I need to be able to get somebody who's a starter who can really get in there and contribute more to winning. And with Arthur Kaluma, the jump shot is just so far off. It just hasn't really shown up yet. I like the defensive versatility. I like that he can put the ball on the deck and score, but it just is not there yet consistently. And at six foot seven, 220 pounds, is kind of in this weird in-between spot of seems to be more of a power forward with the rebounding and lack of a jump shot. But I don't know too many power forwards that are six foot seven, two hundred twenty pounds that aren't really explosive that can really get after there. And a lot of power forwards in the NBA now are like Giannis, KD, LeBron. I'm not sure Arthur Kaluma is going to be able to hold up on defense against those level of athletes. So you put in the shooting combination along with on defense. Is he going to be able to handle the power forwards that are in the NBA today? It just drives down his stock a little bit more. The one NCAA returner I cannot shake, and I'm like, yeah, this 100% is a first-round pick, is Chris Murray. The shooting splits look fantastic. This season is taking more charge of the offense to be a primary option. Six foot eight, 215 pounds, great defender, great shooter. At the very minimum, this is a 3 and D type of player. And if anybody buys into like, oh, look at the bloodlines, look at like the family, Keegan is already there and is good, then you have that in there. I mean, you can say that for the holidays, right? There's Drew Holiday, Aaron Holiday, Justin Holiday, and that did pan out. You see them all be good, good NBA players. Drew is obviously the star of the bunch, but Aaron and Justin, 
them have carved out nice careers. Justin, very long career already just as a 3 and D type of player. I think Chris Murray is definitely more than that. Six foot eight, two fifteen. I mean, this could be somebody that's like a Marcus Morris to be able to get out there and mix it up and put the ball on deck a little bit, but not somebody that's going to profile as a primary scorer. But you want Marcus Morris on your team, right, as a third to fifth option, third to fifth starter that you can always rely on for consistent offense and consistent defense. I really like Chris Murray to be able to be at the very minimum a 3 and D type of player with toughness, with grit and efficiency. So if you're wondering what a first round looks like, that is mostly freshmen. Don't worry. I got you covered. That's going to be coming up in our next episode where I will reveal my big board all the way to 30. Uh, We'll talk about prospects after that. I do have the big board all the way to 100. I will try and figure out a way to publish that, whether that's for Woodward Pistons or just on our Instagram page at ResBall. Go follow that. We definitely will get the 100 out there some way, shape, or form. Thank you so much for listening to us for this NCAA Returners Parts 1 and 2. Please like, share, subscribe the podcast. Leave any comments on Apple Podcasts. We're always welcome for feedback. And I just cannot thank you enough for listening, having a blast doing this every single time. We'll try and pump out as much episodes as I can in my free time because draft season is officially underway. It's been underway for a while. I feel like I'm lagging behind, so we will definitely get more stuff up. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Hogonet.